1: I could stay here forever.
2: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit carvana.com today.
3: Hey, it's the Tom Hartman podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 506 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. you got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name, he, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy, and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M, or text the word wine, W-I-N-E, text the word wine to five eleven five eleven, and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three-bottle order. So text wine to five eleven five eleven. Cameron Hughes, wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. It's Tom Hartman here with you. The hearings are still continuing with Brett Kavanaugh, but anyway, Congressman Mark Pocan is on the line with us. This is our weekly Middays with Mark. He is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, along with Raul Grijalva, as I recall, and he represents the state of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives, Wisconsin's 2nd District. His website Pocan, poca His Twitter handle is Rep, as in Representative Rep Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, thanks,
0: Tom. Glad to be here.
3: It is always great having you. So I'm curious what's at the top of your list of things that we need to be paying attention to, right? And if you have any thoughts on what's going on with Kavanaugh and the whole Supreme Court thing in the Senate and them forbidding us from knowing anything about what he did with George Bush.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I think the nation's watching the hearing Yesterday was kind of opening arguments, not really Kavanaugh. Today, Kavanaugh uh, is being asked questions, but clearly there's a lot of documents that they're not sharing. That would certainly be something for concern for Democrats. I mean, you've got already a president who is under investigation making a, a nomination for uh, the Supreme Court with someone who's a very partisan conservative judge, and now they won't release records or they release what, 40,000 pages you a know, day before the hearing not exactly working in the way that it's traditionally been done. So I think, you know, we're all following that very, very closely, hoping that Democrats will hold tight as they're doing the hearing, you know, be strong, be aggressive, and let's make sure that we're giving a thorough review. Second, I think the lawsuit that's going to be opening up this week, hearing arguments that could unravel even more of the Affordable Care Act, take away people's access to health care with pre-existing conditions, I think that's something we're watching very closely. We know how desperate the Republicans have been to dismantle that. But, you know, for most people, they don't care about the politics of it. They care about if they have a family member with a pre-existing condition, are they still going to have coverage? So I think we're watching that really closely. And then, you know, there's always the various side shows of Donald Trump. Uh, I think one of them being, you know, when he put out about for two Republicans in Congress who have ethics problems, you know, somehow implying Department of Justice shouldn't go after them. Because it's his Department of Justice as opposed to the United States Department of Justice. Again, just shows in one more way that we always see with Donald Trump, uh, it's always about Donald Trump, not about the country. Well, I think Those it's, are a few things I'm watching.
3: The thing that shocked me about Kavanaugh, when he was not on the original list, then it came out that he had argued in a uh, law review publication, as I recall, that the president should not even be questioned when he's in the White House about a crime he may have committed. And then suddenly Donald Trump puts him on the list and then picks him. And it seems to me like there's a straight line in all those things. Do you know anything about this? I mean,
0: that's the biggest concern I think many of us have, right? This is a president who clearly the rope is going tighter around the gang in the White House on collusion corruption here in Washington. And when you, the one person that he happens to pick is the person who has said you don't think you should go after presidents when they're in office. And that's what people are trying to get to the documents and to the speeches. Uh, that he gave around that, you know, clearly that's of concern. I mean, if you have a Supreme Court justice who could be a deciding vote in something that could involve presidential corruption, everyone should be very concerned about something like
3: that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's pick up some phone calls here. David in Greenfield, California, you are on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan.
4: The Republicans have been very effective in preventing any legislation to safeguard our upcoming elections as well as the previous ones. I wondered: is it possible to get a federal judge to require the states to keep paper ballots for two months after the election and do hand recounts for questionable voter outcomes? If people are altering votes in the election,
0: I want to catch them with their hands in the cookie jar. Yeah, I hear you. And that's a a great point. Uh, Let me actually address it in two different ways if I can. One, I have a bill that would require paper ballots on all machines, mandatory random audit of 5% of elections. You know, a lot of things that would solve this. Democrats have been talking about mandatory paper ballots. I think there's a lot that could happen should majorities change around this, whether or not you'll get that in place for this election. I don't necessarily see that happening. But there's an article that didn't get a lot of attention, and uh, I think I've got it right here, about funds that we had given that was supposed to go for making sure that there wasn't interference of the elections, specifically around Russia, originally it was $120 million back in 2016. Then it got lowered to $60 million and at the time, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson didn't access it. Then it became $40 million from the Department of Defense, and then recently it got halved again. And they still haven't released the funds. So here we are at a situation where we know that by every measure of any reasonable person, regardless of political stripe, that there was illegal activities around the election, Russia getting involved. And yet we're not dealing with making sure it doesn't happen again. And I think that should be some outrage. And it's gotten very little attention. And I think it needs to get more because the fact that we're slow walking to the point of no walking, actual monies to address this, that is corruption in and of itself.
3: Tom in Hudsonville, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan.
5: I have a question. I want to know why the Democrats haven't been spending money putting together a media campaign that they could maybe buy Fox NBC, uh, CNBC. They knew that Kavanaugh was going to be a nomination, and they're not doing anything effectively to use money to get this guy. The popular opinion is not going to be swayed unless they have some uh, TV ads. Why aren't you guys spending the money on TV ads?
0: Well, well, first of all, Tom, popular opinion is already against him as a nominee, so there's already polling data that shows that. So I don't know if we need to spend money, especially when you're in the election cycle and there's plenty of money being spent on TV already, specifically around that. And I think part of what they're trying to do right now is show uh, via the free media, and they're getting a lot of it, about the the documents not released and other things. So I think the Democrats are fighting hard on this. I've been happy with what they've been doing so far in the hearings. It's really just started. Uh, My bigger concern is are they going to be able to keep everyone together to oppose a bad nominee, especially during a time period like this, and with the lack of information that is unprecedented trying to approve a Supreme Court with lack of information but I don't think an advertising campaign on Fox per se is going to necessarily take you beyond there's already a public opinion is against him becoming a nominee this is more about some very specific politics and I don't know if public opinion uh, in and of itself is going to change that
3: Clinton in Seattle you're on the air with Congressman Pocan
5: would it be effective for Democrat senators to walk out of the hearing
0: Yeah, so, Clinton, there was a big debate on that, and I've experienced a lot of issues both ways. In Wisconsin, when we had a bill to take away collective bargaining rights for public employees, the state Senate left because by law they could hold things up in the Assembly. We couldn't. There were pluses and minuses to it. I think more important, if they're going to have a chance to question him, they're still there and able to do that, and let's make sure that process happens because they may not bring him back again. And while I really, really wish there were more documents, and I hope they fight for another hearing once they get more documents. I don't know if just not showing up would get you what you're getting right now, which is the awareness about what's happening. So, you know, I think you could argue it both ways, but uh, I would probably err this side on saying don't walk away, be there to ask the question.
3: Congressman Mark Pocan, the co chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, also representing the 2nd District of Wisconsin, on the line with us, the guy who outed Alec, in fact, back in the day on this show, among other places. Uh, it was great. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I've been using the Muse EEG neurofeedback headband. I'm not sure that's exactly what they call it, but the website is choosemuse.com. It's a little headband you put on, um, just sets over your ears, sort of like a pair of glasses only it goes across the forehead, and it actually reads your brain waves, your EEG, and feeds it back to you through a free app on your, on your smartphone into your earphones, into your, into your ears as the sounds of weather. And as your brain gets more agitated, the weather gets louder, and as your brain gets calmer and more peaceful and more meditative, the weather gets softer, and the waves get softer, and you start hearing little birds when you're having really cool brainwave activity. It's associated with the way that good meditators do it. It's a meditation instruction tool, and meditation is such an incredible thing. It it you know helps concentration, focus, lowers blood pressure. I've been using this for about four or five months now, and I have noticed in my daily writing, because I've I've got a ten-book contract right now, and I'm writing so much every single day. I used to I used to sit down to write and say, okay, I'm gonna write for an hour. And half of that hour was spent with distractions. I'd think of this and think of that. And, oh, I need to check my email. Oh, I got to do this. And And I would constantly distract myself and then eventually come back to it. Since I've started using the Muse, now when these distractions pop up, just like they do in my meditation, I've learned how to, just like in my meditation, say, oh, that's a distraction. I'll let go of that. I'll come back to that later. I'm going to get back to writing. And now, instead of getting 30 minutes worth of work done in an hour of sitting and writing, I'm getting... 50 or 60 minutes of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. It's really extraordinary. The, you can learn all about it at Choose Muse, M-U-S-E, ChooseMuse.com. And if you order using the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get $30 off, so check it out. It's great. ChooseMuse.com. Billy in St. Louis, Missouri, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Billy, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan.
1: Congressman Pocan, and Tom, thank you for taking my call. I have a, so, come November, blue wave, we take back you know, both houses of Congress, we move forward with impeachment. Is it in that moment that it sets us up into a constitutional crisis where the Constitution clearly outlines in various articles and amendments the succession to the vice president, to the speaker, in normal circumstances but is it even possible to think of calling a special election for president like almost a a do-over or is that just completely out of the realm of possibility
0: yeah billy i you know we've had some talks previously on the show about that i I don't know if there is any process whatsoever to do that so i think you know what we have in place is if congress should decide to impeach the president uh... we know what the legal process is in place but i don't think there is anything in place to have a do-over election i mean unfortunately a lot of bad decisions will have been made by this president uh, should he be impeached that. We wish we could just instantly erase, but there's not a necessarily a process to do that. So I, I don't think, as much as it may be you know, good to have something like that in place, I don't think there is anything right now in place that would allow that.
3: Richard in Iowa, watching on Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congress in Pocant. Yes, I'm wondering if uh, Democrats are aware that Chuck Grassley is allowing his image to be used by the Trump family
4: when they're trying to sell condominiums and stuff like that in New York to the
6: Chinese and to the Russians?
0: Hmm. No, I, I haven't heard that. I mean, you know, let's face it, uh, in my opinion this guy's president because he's trying to actually be as rich as he says he is, and he's been doing a pretty good job of getting access around the world to people. And I think by the time he uh, leaves the White House, uh, by choice or not, he is going to be much wealthier than when he went in. But don't know much about using Senator Grassley's image and you know what that could mean other than you know let's face it this president's all about this president personally himself and his family's businesses and you know, that's one of the big problems I think that should the Democrats take over we certainly will want to ask a lot of questions about
3: yeah we saw Jared Kushner or actually I think it was his sister go over to China and say to a group of people, give money to the Kushner companies in exchange for buying condos in the United States, and we'll get you essentially a green card, a particular type of visa, an investor visa. Can you imagine if Barack Obama had done that, uh, say, with his relatives in Kenya, Or, or frankly, anybody anywhere, for that matter? If he had, you know, if somebody from the Obama administration had gone to China or some advisor to the Obama administration and said, we'll get you in. I mean, with all the hysteria about immigration and whatnot, did that just Fall? I mean, it just got dropped. There was never any follow up on it.
0: It's something that the Republicans have been unwilling to take on clearly, and we see lots of these around the emolument clause, the hotel, around that, around Chinese trademarks, around first country you want to visit with Saudi Arabia, not Canada, like previous presidents. Every action this guy does is about getting rich, and uh, unfortunately, this Congress won't deal
3: with it. Yeah, remarkable. Yeah. Sonny, listening on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. You're on the air with Congressman Pokan.
2: I'd like to make a citizen's arrest uh, for the chaos that we're all going through. If that was happening to a CEO that I work for or anything else, all this chaos,
4: I wanted some advice from you uh, that if this is possible to do this as a citizen of the United States and a concerned person for, for all humanitarians out
5: here.
0: Yes, yeah, Sonny, I don't know if I have a great answer for you. I, I don't think you can uh, do a citizen's arrest on anything here. Um, I certainly understand where your concern is. I mean, every single day I get a new tweet today. I think the president said he's done more than any president in history in the time he's had, and I thought, that, I thought right away that slacker Abraham Lincoln, you know, if he just worked a little harder. I mean, this, this guy is obviously something new for any of us in our adult lifetimes. But the best way you're going to affect it, is by going uh, to the polls in November. If you don't like the people and what they're doing, who are in charge, change the faces of those in charge. And that's the best. Unfortunately, that's the best advice I have at this
3: point. Yolanda in Detroit, serious SiriusXM. You're on the air with Congressman Pocant.
2: Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I wanted to know what could the Democratic Party do if they do take control in November to simply impeach Kavanaugh? What are the numbers? How many people do we need to just simply impeach him if we find out? He committed perjury, or if he lied um, doing his confirmation.
3: It's a simple majority in the House to present the articles of impeachment to the Senate. And then in the Senate, for the trial to result in a conviction, it requires 66 votes, two-thirds. It's the same as for the president.
0: What we've been listening to, I've heard pretty much only non-answers, right? I mean, we're, you're being told, well, I have to follow the case law the way, you know, you're not really getting a lot of specifics in many cases. So I'm not sure if you'll catch him on something like that. What I'm really concerned about is, at minimum, let's share all the documents so there can be a thorough review. Let's not, you know, have something we find out about later, and then that process is going to be very, very difficult to change. So, you know, I'm hoping the Democrats in the Senate will hold very hard. I think the public wants them to. But, um, you know, it's unfortunate where politics, politics has devolved to in this country from the very top. Uh, The president and all the craziness we get out of his tweets to uh, congressional leadership that forget they're a separate but co equal branch of government. Um, It is a tough time, and the best way that we can react to that tough time is to change the faces of those people who are in charge because they're not doing their jobs.
3: Grace, quick one for Congressman Pocant.
1: Oh, hi, Tom. Congressman Pocan, I'd like to know why. The Democrats must obviously know the extreme net of web organizations that the Koch brothers and their affiliated John Birch Society hold. And Senator Whitehouse brought this up that this appointment is through the Federalist Society, which is a coke funded organization. When are we going to find a way to eliminate organizations that have such an extreme hold on our government, who make and write our laws? Democracy can't be upheld as long as there are subversive organizations out there that are undermining our, our very own democracy in exchange for corporate fascism.
0: Yeah, Grace. I mean, you know, part of it is free speech, right? They're, they're going to have organizations like Federalists. I think our real question is if you asked uh, most people what the Federalist Society is, you'd get a very, very, very small number of people who understand. And you're right. Uh, they are the ones that are submitting these names, and they have way too much undue control.
3: So we need more transparency? Absolutely. More and media coverage? We need
0: to information out the best we can.
3: Yeah. Amen. And I should add, if people want to call their senators, and they should, yeah. regardless of their party or, or position, that the telephone number for the switchboard at the Senate is 202-224-3121. Kate in Los Angeles, listening on Kate. quick question for Congressman Pocan.
2: Yes, it's proven that there was Russian interference and the election is proven to have been false. Wouldn't it be possible for all of Trump and everyone associated with him to be pushed out And a new election held since they are all invalid.
0: Yeah, Kate, again, there is not a a process to do that. So, you know, if uh, it. Tragically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so (laughs) tragically. So if there is something that we find out that the White House has done, the president or the vice president has done uh, that's impeachable, then that would be the progression we can go. Uh, The president clearly seems to. I have a lot of his friends and associates who have gotten immunity that tells me something. I'm not sure about Mike Pence, but we don't have anything like that in place to do the do-over of the election. And so what we have to do is get out in November and do our own do-over by changing the faces of the people who haven't done anything about the last
3: two years. Congressman, 15 seconds for final thoughts.
0: You know, let's just keep watching this Kavanaugh nomination. Let's keep focused on the November elections. I am optimistic the American people are on our side on these issues, but uh, it only happens if we're hungry and we work hard to get it done. And I hope everyone is really hungry.
3: Yeah. The, the one thing that I would flag for people is the Chevron deference. This is a huge, big deal that the billionaires want desperately, along with rents, Mens Rea. And nobody even understands what these things are, but they're promoting them heavily, and it's going to be before the Supreme Court. Congressman, thank you so much for being with us.
6: Thank you, Tom. As always, appreciate it.
3: It is great talking with you. Here's uh, Senator Durbin speaking.
6: Mr. Chairman, the National Archives have uh, stated publicly that how the way we are handling the records for this nomination are unprecedented and they've had nothing to do with it. Uh, they have asked until the end of October to produce records uh, and they've been told, we don't need you. We're going to finish this hearing long before then. I'd like to ask that be placed in the record, the statement from the National Archives uh, related to the records related to Judge Kavanaugh. May I have consent to place this in the record?
1: Yes.
6: I'm sorry. Statement from the National Archives. Put in the record, yes, without objection. Thank you. Uh, And now I'm gonna throw you a pitch which you've seen coming for 12 years. I wanna talk to you about the 2006 testimony which you gave before this committee. It was at a different time. We were very concerned about the issue of torture. Uh, and detention and interrogation uh, I, yesterday I asked uh, you to show the American people that you have nothing to hide by um, uh, coming clean with us on this issue and I'd like to refer specifically to uh, some of the questions that um, were raised because of that 2006 testimony I believe we have here a statement of my question as well as your response I'm sure you've seen this because it's been reported in the paper that you've been waiting for this question for a long time when I was back in the day a trial attorney preparing a witness for interrogation testimony deposition giving testimony at trial, I said two things tell the truth and don't answer more than you're asked don't volunteer information judge Cavanaugh you failed on the second count. The question I asked you, what was your role in the original Haynes nomination decision to renominate him? And at the time of the nomination, what did you know about Mr. Haynes' role in crafting the administration's detention interrogation policies? Your response? Senator, I did not. I was not involved and am not involved in the questions about the rules governing detention of combatants or, and so I do not have the involvement with that. And with respect to Mr. Haynes' nomination, I've known Jim Haynes, but it was not one of the nominations that I handled. You raise
5: it a little higher. I can't see the bottom. I got
6: it. Good. Okay. I asked you about this when we had a meeting in my office. Yes. And I, I still don't understand your answer uh, in terms of how you could state as clearly and unequivocally I was not involved and am not involved in the questions about the rules governing the detention of combatants. You were involved in the discussions about access to counsel for detainees. You confirmed this during the meeting we had in my office, and there are multiple media reports as well. You were involved in discussions regarding detained US combatants Yasser Hamdi and Jose Padilla. You confirmed that in our meetings, and there are emails that support that fact. You were involved, and this is one I want to be specific about, you were involved with President Bush's 2005 signing statement on Senator John McCain's amendment banning cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment of detainees, and you confirmed that in the meeting. There were no exceptions in your answer given to me in 2006, not for litigation, or detainee access to counsel, or the McCain torture amendment. So if those three, based on the limited documents which we've been given, are obvious, what were you trying to tell me here? Did you really disclose accurately your role? Uh, yes, I understood the question
5: then, and my answer then, and I understood sta- have human We're allowed to make our own uh, I understood the question then, and the answer then, and I understand the question now, and the answer now, uh, to be 100% accurate. Uh, You were concerned about whether I was involved in the program uh, that two other nominees had been involved in. And uh, the report that Senator Feinstein produced, the Justice Department report, they uh, showed that I wasn't. In other words, the program, uh, crafting the program for the enhanced interrogation techniques for the detainees.
6: Mr. Judge Cavill, that's not the question. Do you see me asking you whether you crafted the program? I didn't. I asked you Uh, about your involvement in the Haynes judgment, and then you went further. Crafting? Yes. Then you went further. You violated the second rule I gave to every witness, you answered more than I asked. I adhered to the first one, I told the truth. Well you volunteered more information than I asked, and you went further than you should have. Because well, the, in the three specific instances I've given you, you clearly were involved in questions about rules governing detention of combatants.
5: So I understood the question then, and I understand it now in my answer, about that uh, that program. I told the truth about that, and, and the reports that have come out subsequently have shown that I told the truth about that. My name is not in those reports. Now, for the, the 2005 signing statement, by that time I'm in... Uh, Staff secretary office and everything that went to the president's desk Everything that went to the president's desk with a few covert exceptions uh, Would have somehow crossed my desk on the way so you asked I said on a signing statement It would have crossed my desk on the way so would a speech draft on the Iraq war so would a speech you know those things would have crossed my desk prepared by others not prepared by me, but they crossed my desk on the way to the president.
6: In the 2006 hearing, you told Chairman Arlen Specter you gave President Bush advice on signing statements including, quote, identifying potential constitutional issues in legislation. Did you make any comments regarding the December 30th, 2005 signing statement on the McCain torture amendment, including potential constitutional issues?
5: <clears throat> I can't recall what I said. I do recall that there was a good deal of internal debate about that signing statement, as you can imagine, there would be. I remember that it was controversial internally. uh, And I remember that I thought, and I can't remember all the ins and outs of who thought what, but I do remember that the counsel of the president was in charge, ultimately, of signing statements uh, in terms of the final recommendation to the president.
6: And just a few months later, you under oath told us you were not involved in any of the questions about the rules governing detention of combatants.
5: Then, uh, Senator, again, we were at least I understood it then, and I understand it now to be referring to the program we were talking about that was very controversial, that Senator Feinstein has spent years trying to dig into, and I was in that I was not read into that program. I told the truth uh, about that, and. Um, uh,
6: Let me go to another area of questioning, if I can. Thank you very much. In your dissent in Garza versus Hargan, you wrote that the court had created, quote, a new right for unlawful immigrant minors in the United States government detention to obtain immediate abortion on demand, thereby barring any government efforts to expeditiously transfer the minors to their immigration sponsors before they make that momentous life decision. You argued that permitting the government additional time to find a sponsor for a young woman in the case did not impose an undue burden. She visited a religious anti-abortion crisis pregnancy center, she underwent an ultrasound for no medical purpose, and she went before a judge and obtained a judicial bypass of the state's parental consent requirements. In other words, this young woman complied with every legal requirement, including Texas state requirements, placed in front of her so she could move forward with her decision, a decision affecting her body and her life. Do you believe that this was an abortion on demand?
5: Senator, the Garza case involved first and foremost a minor. It's important to emphasize it was a minor. Yes. So if she had been, and she's in an immigration facility in the United States, she's from a, another country, she does not speak English, she, and she's by herself. If she had been an adult, she would have a right uh, to obtain the abortion immediately. As a minor, the government argued that it was uh, proper or appropriate to transfer her quickly first to an immigration sponsor. Who is an immigration sponsor, you ask? Uh, It is a family member or friend who she would not be forced to talk to but she could consult with if she wanted about the decision facing her. So we had to analyze this first as a minor, and then for me, the first question always, what's the precedent? The precedent on point from the Supreme Court is there is no case on exact points, so you do what you do in all cases. You reason by analogy from the closest thing on point. What's the closest body of law on point? The parental consent decisions of the Supreme Court where they've repeatedly upheld parental consent laws over the objection of dissenters who thought that's going to delay the procedure too long, up to several weeks. And I'm I'm getting to the point, I'm getting to the point.
6: Before you get to the point, you've just bypassed something. You just bypassed the judicial bypass, which she received from the state of Texas when it came to parental consent. That's already happened here. But that- And you're still stopping her.
5: I'm not. Uh, The the government is arguing that placing her with an immigration sponsor would allow her, if she wished, to consult with someone about the decision. That is not the purpose of the state bypass procedure. So I just want to be very clear about that.
6: But, Judge, the clock is ticking. It is. The clock is ticking. 20-week clock is ticking. She made the decision early in the pregnancy, and all that I've described to you, and the judicial decisions, the clock is ticking. And you are suggesting that she should have waited to have a sponsor appointed who she may or may not have consulted in making this decision.
5: Again, this is, I'm a judge. I'm not making the policy decision. My job is to decide whether that policy is consistent with law. What do I do? I look at precedent. And the most analogous precedent is the parental consent precedent. From Casey, has this phrase at page 895, minors benefit from consultation about abortion. It's a quote, talking about cons- consultation with so you're parents.
6: So You are adding a requirement here. Beyond the state of Texas requirements, that there be some sponsor chosen who may or may not be consulted for this decision, so, and the clock is ticking on her pregnancy.
5: couple things there, Senator. Uh, you said you are adding. I'm not adding. I'm a judge. The policy is being made by others. I'm deciding whether the policy is then consistent with Supreme Court precedent. There are two things to look at in this context, Senator. First, is the, is the government's goal reasonable in some way? And they say we want the minor to have the opportunity to consult about the abortion. Well, the Supreme Court precedent specifically says, specifically says, that that's an appropriate objective. Was that a state
6: requirement? The second question... Was that a state requirement? uh,
5: The second question is the delay. Your point. In the parental consent uh, cases of the Supreme Court recognize that there could be some delay because of the parental consent procedures. And in fact, Justices Marshall, Brennan, and Blackman repeatedly dissented in cases because they thought the delay was too long. I quoted all that in my Garza opinion, and I made clear it had to happen very quickly. Uh, And I looked at the time of the pregnancy to make sure on safety, I specifically talk about safety. I specifically say the government cannot use this as a ruse to somehow prevent the abortion. I spent a paragraph talking about She was in an undeniably difficult situation. So as I was saying to Senator Graham earlier, I tried to recognize the real-world effects on her. I said, consider the circumstances. She's a 17-year-old by herself in a foreign country in a facility where she's uh, detained, and she has no one to talk to, and she's pregnant. Now, that is a difficult situation, and I specifically recognized and tried to understand that. And then as a judge, not the policymaker, I tried to understand whether the government's policy was consistent with the Supreme Court's precedents. And I did the best I could. And I said on those parental consent precedents, I said, look, some people disagree with those precedents and think those kinds of statutes should not be allowed. But I had to, I precedents not like a cafeteria where I can take this, but not that. I had to take Casey, uh, uh, in completely. Casey reaffirmed Roe. I, uh,
6: I have, have some other questions so okay. I ask if you please.
5: Well it's an important question though and a I want to make sure. It's a critical question. And, I, a, I, and, and uh, I did my I did my level best yeah. in a emergency posture so I, I had to basically two days to do this it case. It was
6: two to one unbanked decision which you descended from, correct?
5: I, I did the best to follow precedent and as I uh, always try to do to f- be as uh, careful as I can in following the precedent of the
6: Supreme Court.
5: So
6: let me ask you a personal question. What's the dirtiest, hardest job you've ever had in your life?
5: I worked construction when I was, uh, the summer uh, after I was 16, uh, for a summer, uh, 7 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. My dad dropped me off every morning uh, at 7, 6.55. He wanted me to be early. Uh, and uh, that's, that's probably the one. I also, I should say, Senator, I I had uh, what uh, 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 one person, I guess, is uh, lawn business for many summers, business, uh, you know, I cut a lot of lawns, and that's how I made some cash uh, when I was, I started that probably eighth grade, maybe seventh grade. I, I cut my parents' lawn, but then I cut a lot of lawns in the neighborhood and actually distributed flyers to... All over the place to say if you need your lawn cut, call me. So lawn cutting and then the construction job, the one summer.
6: My dirtiest job I ever had was four summers working in a slaughterhouse. Yes. I always wanted to go back to college. Yes. I couldn't wait to get out of there. It was unbearable. It was dirty. It was hot. The things I did were unimaginable and I wouldn't even start to repeat them. Then came a case before you called Agri-Processor Company versus NLRB. At least a third of the workers, Judge Kavanaugh, in our nation's slaughterhouses are immigrants. It stands, visits to Iowa or Illinois, probably Delaware, you pick it. You're gonna find a lot of immigrants doing these miserable, dirty, stinking, hot jobs. Many of them are undocumented. The work is low-paid and dangerous, and as the GAO has noted, immigrants are pressured not to even report injuries on the job. AgriProcessors' case was a notorious meatpacking company owned by Shalom Rabashkin, who was convicted of 86 counts of fraud and money laundering in 2009. His 27-year sentence recently was commuted by President Trump. Agroprocessors had at the core of its business model the exploitation of undocumented workers. Half their workers, almost 400 of them, were not authorized. Workers alleged the company fostered a hostile workplace, environment that included 12-hour shifts without overtime pay, exposure to dangerous chemicals, sexual harassment, and child labor. A truck driver at Agroprocessors' Brooklyn Warehouse told reporters, quote, we were treated like garbage. And if we said anything, we got fired immediately. Judge Kavanaugh, you've bent over backwards to take the company's side against these workers. In a 2008 DC Circuit case, Agra Processor versus NLRB, your dissent argued that this company's workers should be prohibited from unionizing because they did not fit your definition of an employee. To reach this compl- conclusion, you imported a definition of employee from a totally different statute. You ignored the plain language of the controlling statute, the National Labor Relations Act, which has a broad definition of employee, as well as binding Supreme Court precedent. The majority in this case, and you were a dissenter, the majority in this case noted that their opinion stuck to the text of the National Labor Relations Act and to the 1986 Immigration Reform and Control Act, which did not amend the National Labor Relations Act. They said that your dissent, these other judges said about your dissent, would, quote, abandon the text of the controlling statute and lead to a, quote, absurd result. The majority in this decision included one Republican and one Democratic appointed judge. Judge Kavanaugh, you claim over and over again to be a textualist, to be carefully weighing every word of a statute. So why did you go out of your way to interpret the word employee in a way that benefited this horrible business? This is absolutely brilliant by Durbin. Pay a careful
5: attention. Why didn't
6: you stick to the plain language of the controlling statute and the binding Supreme Court precedent?
5: Because the Supreme Court precedent compelled me to reach the results that I reached. And here's why, Senator. Let me explain. The Supreme Court had a case in 1984 called the Shirtan decision. And the Shurtan decision uh, considered the interaction of the National Labor Relations Law Act and the immigration laws. And what the, what the Supreme Court did in Shurtan is had this question and said it is at that time permissible to consider an immigrant unlawfully in the country as an employee under the National Labor Relations Act. And in part 2B of the opinion, you have to read part 2B of the opinion, of the Supreme Court's opinion. If you read part 2B of the opinion, the court then goes on to say, and because the immigration laws do not prohibit employment of people unlawfully in the country, and makes clear, the Supreme Court makes clear, this is when it's being considered in Congress in 84, it ends up in the 86 Act.
3: This is Kavanaugh trying to weasel out of why he was—he uh, lost, actually. I mean, you know, his his peers said, "No, you're wrong," and ruled against him. But he's saying, "Oh yes, I was right. You shan't unionize. You can't do that." This is the Tom Hartman program. let's check in with talk media news and find out what's going on in the world this report brought to you by goats for the old dot com and ellen ratner's new book loving what you do uh, which i do i love what i do and one of the parts i love the most about it is talking to ellen ratner every week ellen well, welcome back i love
2: back. talking to you thank and you I love talking to your wife louise too okay so uh the president tweeted on the woodward book it's very interesting because the book's name is fear and it's supposed to be out on the 11th. Now why anybody would have a book out on 911 I don't know but they did. Anyway, uh the president uh, tweeted that it was filled with lies. It's interesting Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday talked about it, but she talked about it in terms of the disgruntled employees. She did not say that Woodward was not telling the truth in terms of what he heard. So I think that that's very very interesting. But um, he then said libel should they change the libel laws i mean give me a break
3: yeah well the libel I laws even... the, the libel laws operate within the confines of the first amendment he's familiar with uk law and he's probably even a bit involved in, in libel lawsuits in the uk i'd be amazed if he wasn't given that he's had over what 2500 lawsuits in his life and right. uh the united kingdom does not have a first amendment there's no guarantee of free speech there if you want to have free speech you got to go stand in a corner in a park and and right. uh, you know uh, speaker's, speaker's corner corner right therefore their libel laws are quite different than ours so he is calling to end the first amendment is that the deal
2: well i don't know i mean he questioned whether they should change libel laws that yeah. was the end of his. i
3: period. think that just betrays he an absolute lack really of wants to do. yeah he's just he's just totally ignorant of the constitution and the law and the and the and the the founding arguments uh, around that anyhow ellen what what else is up
2: Okay, so then there was the Kavanaugh hearings this morning. This is the second day, and every senator is given 30 minutes. So uh, one interesting piece is that uh, Senator Leahy of Vermont said, Trump claims he has an absolute right to pardon himself. Does he? Kavanaugh answers the question of self-pardons. is something I've never analyzed. Yes, okay. Um, it's a, a question I have not written about. It's a question therefore that is hypothetical question that I can't begin to answer in the context of a sitting judge and a nominee to the Supreme Court, Senator Leahy. And the other half of that is an obvious one. Does the president have the ability to pardon somebody in exchange for a promise from that person they wouldn't testify against him? Kavanaugh, sir, I'm not going to answer hypothetical questions of that sort. I mean, you can't make this stuff up.
3: This is a hypothetical question, sort of like you know, is it an OK thing to drive down the street and hit people uh, with your car versus, uh, you know, carefully trying to avoid them? Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to talk about it. I mean, this, this is on its face. He should have said, well, of course, presidents can't pardon themselves. They can't commit a crime in exchange for a pardon.
2: Of course. But he didn't say that.
3: That's he incredible. He avoided it. That's incredible. All
2: right. Uh, so the president today also tweeted about the economy uh, and how good it was. And that, uh, that they have, he wants to pass the farm bill with snap work requirements. And everybody agrees his administration has done more in less than two years than any other administration in terms of jobs. That's what he tweeted out today. Okay, then the president, there's some hints about who he may be looking at for replacements to the White House counsel. Now, it's very interesting that uh, both of the names are people uh Emmett Flood uh who is on Trump's legal team and uh, were, was involved in the 1998 1999 impeachment process of Clinton so he's looking clearly for white house counsels that can be involved in impeachment i mean i think there's no question about that
3: so trump is getting ready
2: oh absolutely yeah absolutely okay uh, now, the Chicago mayor, Rahm Emanuel, who was chief of staff under uh, Clinton, he is not seeking a third term. Now, those of us that know Rahm Emanuel <laughs> know that this guy is one of the most wily politicians around, and trust me, he would run for a third term if he thought it could win. But there's the shootings that are going on, there is the uh, sex questions about what's happening in the Chicago school system, and he has not been able to do anything about it, and so my guess is that he is not going to be seeking a third term because he's looked at the polls now this is really interesting um, at ground zero which of course happened in two thousand one uh... there were lots of people that helped fifteen men who were in the area of ground zero for an extended period of time had been diagnosed with breast cancer that's men with breast cancer stage three breast cancer and in one case uh, that's gone on to stage four Uh, But that's really unbelievable, and I know somebody that's working on the heart situation of people who were at ground zero, but this isn't very new in terms of the the breast cancer diagnosis.
3: Wouldn't it be fascinating if they could identify the pathogen, or whatever the appropriate word is, the thing that caused that, and it could be a scientific breakthrough?
2: Right. Well, that would be very interesting. Okay. Um, As you uh, acknowledged earlier today, or earlier on this show. Uh, the Massachusetts had a primary and they voted a progressive uh, against somebody who had been in office for 10 terms which is 20 years uh... and she would be the first african-american to represent massachusetts a district in massachusetts also uh... they decided on who would go against uh... the uh... sitting uh... u.s. senator uh... and it's going to be somebody on the republican side who was a trump person. Uh, he co- uh, co-chaired the Trump campaign in Massachusetts. So that's who's going to be going against Elizabeth Warren.
1: That's interesting.
2: Okay. Today, the United Kingdom Prime Minister, uh, May, went after the Russian poisonings. Uh, and she basically said that the Russians came on a plane. They did their work. There was poison found in their hotel room. They then left on a plane. And of course, Russia won't extradite its people.
3: Fascinating. Ellen Radner with Talk Media News. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. Great talking with you. Eleanor in Champaign, Illinois, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Eleanor, what's on your mind?
4: Oh, hi, Tom.
3: Hi, Eleanor. Uh,
4: what's on my mind relates to possibly Kavanaugh and also the anti-abortion people. I used to be a social worker. I have had cases that people need to take care of who believe in anti-abortion, Number one, a gonorrhea pregnancy, which resulted in a baby that couldn't see, couldn't hear, had no muscle control, and just lays in residential care. Mm. And number two, a child is painfully addicted when they're born. Number three, I had a case where the father raped a developmentally disabled daughter. The daughter grew up, resented her mother, raped her, and beat her with her boyfriend. Let them take care of these people yeah. and see what they go through, these
3: children. Somebody called into the show uh, a little bit ago. Louise was telling me this story, and he says, uh, boy, I sure i am glad that Brett Kavanaugh is going to save all those babies. And, yeah. and, and my response would be, they're not interested in saving babies. They're interested in saving fetuses. Once they become babies, once they're born, it's to hell with them. We have the highest yeah. childhood mortality rate and maternal mortality rate in the developed world because of Republican policies.
4: Right. And they need to understand that some babies are born that will not be able to function.
3: Yes. And, and may live terrible, uh, you know, lives in terrible That's pain. That's right. Live but, terrible you know, lives. Yeah. Uh, amen. Thank you, Eleanor. The, very, very well said. Uh, Tank in Georgia. watching us on YouTube. Hey, Tank, what's up? I encourage you to Google Kavanaugh and environment. Just those two words, Kavanaugh with a K, environment. And what you will find is that on numerous cases, numerous cases, Brett Kavanaugh has ruled against the environment. And on several of these cases, he's tried to blow up the Chevron deference. And he's been overruled by his colleagues, as Dick Durbin was pointing out. He was overruled by his colleagues when he tried to end the ability of of workers to have a union because some of them were not U.S. citizens, which, you know, what does that have to do with the National Labor Relations Act? It doesn't say if a citizen, you know, works in a, you know, it just doesn't. But Kavanaugh is not just a judge. He is, as I said earlier, a Republican activist. He is interested in destroying unions Not because he thinks unions are a bad thing, but because unions typically fund Democratic candidates. He's interested in destroying the environment, not because he wants his kids to grow up in a world that's poisoned and polluted, but because the Republican Party takes money from from big oil companies and big coal companies. I mean, it's just you have to understand what's feeding the Republican Party, and then you get all of this. Tom Harbin here with you, and... I want you to think about this scenario, all right? And I just want to ask you, does this sound crazy to you? I walk into a 7-Eleven and I rob them. I walk out with $74 in cash and a case of Coke. I get arrested in the parking lot. They drag me off to jail. The next day I'm in court and the judge says, well, you know, what do you have to say for yourself, Mr. Hartman? And I say, there is no mention of 7-Elevens in the law. You cannot prosecute me. There are laws against robbing pharmacies, very specific laws, very specific laws against robbing banks, but there's not a specific law against robbing a 7-Eleven. So you have to let me go. Now, it sounds crazy, right? I mean, just like certifiably crazy. But here is the reality. This morning... In the hearings with Brett Kavanaugh, when Orrin Hatch started talking about the Chevron deference, that's what they were talking about. The billionaires who own big oil companies and big coal companies are very bent out of shape about the fact that the EPA has the power to regulate them. And back in 1984, when Neil Gorsuch's mother, Ann Gorsuch, was the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency she argued that under the Clean Air Act, the EPA could not block mercury coming out of coal-fired power plants because the word mercury did not appear in the law. Now, this went to the Supreme Court. The case was called Chevron versus NRDC. And the Supreme Court ruled, no, if the enabling law that created the EPA, it doesn't have to say mercury. All it has to say is, Your job is to keep the environment clean, and then the EPA brings in experts, and they decide what's dangerous and what's not, and they've identified mercury, and so mercury is illegal. That's the state of the law right now. Right now, a judge would say, no, you robbed a 7-Eleven. That's robbery, even though it doesn't mention 7-Eleven. But what Orrin Hatch said this morning is that he and his Republican colleagues are preparing legislation to overturn that Chevron decision so that the EPA can no longer regulate something unless Congress specifically names that thing, which of course would be, I mean, there's 80,000 chemicals out there, right? This is how bizarre it's getting. In the Chevron case, basically what the Supreme Court said was, of course, if you have legislation that says we're going to create the Environmental Protection Agency, that the mandate of the Environmental Protection Agency is to protect the environment, We are Congress, we're not going to sit here for two years with thousands of hearings over hundreds and hundreds or thousands of hours listening to experts decide which of the 80,000 chemicals in our environment are the dangerous ones that need to be regulated and which ones are the benign ones. That's not our job. Our job is to say, EPA, protect the environment, and then give you guys a budget. And you go out and you bring in the experts or you hire the experts and you decide based on, on you know the, the parameters of the law, you decide what regulations are appropriate, what are inappropriate, and what the penalties should be for violating those regulations. And those will be subject to oversight of the courts, but only if they fall into a couple of simple categories, which is, in this case it was the EPA, is the EPA actually behaving consistent with the law? Are they behaving in good faith? If so, we leave them alone. Or are they behaving in a way that is patently absurd, that is ignoring the law or even violating the law, in which case we intervene. So Ann Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch's mother, when she was running the EPA and she ended up resigning in disgrace from the EPA, it was a scandal. She argued that unless the law specifically names a chemical that the EPA has the authority to regulate, they no longer have the authority to regulate that chemical. In this case, it was mercury. The Supreme Court said, no, the law does not have to name the chemical. The law has to name the goal of the agency. Orrin Hatch, in his questioning of Brett Kavanaugh, pointed out that he and several of his colleagues, his Republican colleagues in the United States Senate, who are heavily funded by Koch Industries or the Koch Brothers or ExxonMobil or other heavy-duty polluters, coal companies. And, and by the way, this doesn't just apply to the environment. This will get extended If Orrin Hatch has has his way, this will get extended to the regulation of banks, to the regulation of hospitals, to the regulation of pharmaceuticals, to the regulation of our food supply. Every area where our government is currently protecting us and some billionaire can make a little more money by hurting us, they are going to try to take down that protection. And what Orrin Hatch said to Brett Kavanaugh is that him and a bunch of other Republicans are preparing legislation to blow up the Chevron, he called it the Chevron Doctrine. It's typically referred to as the deference. In other words, we defer to the regulatory agency, to their judgment. It's not the job of the court to make these decisions. It's the job of the EPA to decide what is and what isn't dangerous in the environment. And Orrin Hatch said, we're going to blow that sucker up. I mean, obviously not his words, but essentially. And Brett Kavanaugh just sort of nodded and went along with it. And nobody said, what? What the hell? This is exactly the case of my walking into a 7-Eleven and saying, you know, give me all your money. And then going into court and saying, you know, the law does not say you may not rob a 7-Eleven. It says you can't rob banks. There's a lot, of, a lot of retail outlets out there that have the word bank in their name, Wells Fargo Bank, Bank of America. I can't rob them. And there's a specific law about robbing pharmacies. And there's all kinds of companies out there. Johnson's Pharmacy, Smith's Pharmacy, Acme Pharmacy, Chicago Pharmacy. You can't rob them. But the law does not say I may not rob a 7-Eleven. And therefore, I'm robbing the 7-Eleven. As bizarre as that logic is, that's the logic that the Koch brothers and the other billionaires want applied to environmental and other laws. The other one is the mens rea thing. Mens rea means state of mind. And the so-called criminal justice reform that the Koch brothers and other right-wing billionaires are promoting and the major corporations are supportive of is legislation that would require, in cases of white-collar crime, that the state of mind of the person being charged be taken into consideration. Now, Now, certainly, state of mind has a place, right? For example, you know, if somebody... Hits somebody with their car and kills them, that's manslaughter. But if they do it maliciously, if they do it intentionally, hit somebody with their car and kill them, that's murder. I mean, it's a, you know, state of mind has something to do with it. So there's a basis for mens rea, right? I mean, it makes sense that the state of mind. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to say that if the CEO of a company says to the senior management and then down the line to management, you know, those safety devices that we have on the machines on the factory floor, we just can't afford those anymore. We're spending, you know, $20 million a year on safety devices. We're just going to do away with them. And as soon as they're done away with, Joe Blow dies on the assembly line, gets his hands chopped off and bleeds out on the floor. In order to prosecute the person who, del- who got rid of the safety equipment, you would have to prove that their intent was to kill Joe Blow. Otherwise, you can't prosecute them. Now, if I would say that that's negligence, if nothing else, but no. They want to blow up the negligence defense. Now, they don't want to do this with regard to things like uh, you're driving down the street and you're texting and you hit somebody and, you know, you should have known better, right? For regular criminals, no problem. Throw them in jail. But for people running companies, if they make decisions that poison people, that kill people, that injure people, that ruined people's lives, you have to prove that that was their goal. That when that banker decided that he was going to sell these crappy subprime mortgages, it was his intention to have all those people end up homeless. And of course, you could never prove that. What, are they going to put it on a billboard, write a letter? In most cases, that's not even their intention. I mean, if they gave it any thought, they would know that that would be the consequence of their action. But it's not their intention. Their intention is to increase profits. And so these two things, blowing up the Chevron deference and building mens rea into white-collar criminal law, this is the wet dream of the billionaire class right now. To essentially completely neuter the Environmental Protection Agency, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the banking oversight agencies, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, all of these agencies, the Food and Drug Administration, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, they all get neutered if you do away with the Chevron deference. And the ability to hold billionaires and CEOs to account. When the actions that they take cause destruction of lives or property or anything, the environment, they want a get out of jail free card. And this guy, Brett Kavanaugh, is gonna be eager to give it to them. Thanks so much for being with us today. The hearings continue. There is a lot of really interesting stuff in there. I encourage you to keep up with what's going on. So little of it is being covered by our press, particularly since they really want to get into all the gossip about you know, Trump and Bob Woodward and whatnot. I, I really think we need to go beyond gossip, uh, although the Woodward book is making a strong case that Trump should be removed by the 25th Amendment. Anyhow, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've
4: been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit
3: TomHartman.com. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high-tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high-tech. And yes, I'll say it, it is sexy. This chair is extraordinary. And it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is, quite simply, the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And it's patented, split-back, lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com, that's xchairtom.com now, to check out the X3's Perfect blend of design and ergonomics. There's a lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1 844 4xchair. This chair comes with a 30 day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code Tom, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. ExChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast.